Get more confidence. Dates. It's sex. Build the relationships and lifestyles you really want. DatingSkillsReview.com presents a training program for dating with, with different world-class experts in every single episode. Teaching you the secrets to their skills and success. Dating Skills Podcast. The podcast for men. Hey there, this is Angel Donovan back with another episode, episode 43 of Dating Skills Podcast. I want to say a big thank you for all of the iTunes ratings and reviews you've been giving us over the last weeks, which is pushing us up and it's starting to get us some traction in iTunes. So that's awesome. And we're really happy to see that more people are getting to see our podcast. Here's some of the feedback I really appreciated. Want to give you some examples of this. So uh, there's one from Delirious Kevin. He says, great podcast, many different perspectives. He says, I really appreciate this podcast. There is always a new interview with a different perspective. I especially like the personal boundaries one. Would be great to have more women's perspectives. Weird that I cannot download the last episode. So that's a ton of great specific feedback for us to act on. Great there. Uh, the first thing is that uh, the, the download of the last episode, which was with uh, Chase Amante, that's fixed now. That was a technical glitch that lasted for a few days. So you can download that and that won't happen again. For the women's perspective, certainly we're working on getting those scheduled up over the next month or so. So look out for those. Here's another one from a guy called Ian Tige. He says, resplendent podcast. With a plethora of consistent quantity and quality, Angel provides a guiding voice when interviewing some of the best guys and girls in the field. Well worth a subscription. Thank you very much, Ian. Thank you very much, Kevin. Uh, it's great feedback and very motivatory and you know, it helps us to focus on the right things for you guys when we see some feedback about what you're liking and so on. If you haven't already, please do let us know what you think of the podcast in iTunes. Give a rating, whatever you feel is correct, and give us some feedback and let us know. As I say, it's great for us to read, it keeps us motivated, and it also helps us get ranked up higher in iTunes and lets more guys get this free advice, which is uh, hopefully really helpful. So, you know, thanks for that. Now, today the subject we're looking at is marriage, and marriage is the same as a long-term relationship, really. So if you're interested in a long-term relationship, sustainable relationship in the future, there's going to be a lot of really uh, great content in the interview for you today. The interview is pretty long. It's, it's nearly two hours long, and I guess that represents the depth of the subject and its complexity. Um, we also get into some pretty deep areas, so you know, don't worry if you don't get all of this the first time through or if it's not so relevant for you today. Uh, later on when you're in a relationship and you're looking for more long-term stuff, it will be. It's some, there's some really interesting uh, material in there. We also talk about different models of marriage um, because today we have choice and it's not the same path for everyone. Before, you know, things used to be a bit more rigid back in our parents' time, but these days it's really up to you what kind of marriage or long-term relationship you want. And finally, we also talk a bit about inner gamer relationships and preparing for them because this is kind of also a lifelong development path and uh, there'll be more about that in the interview, but I'd just like to say that this is a really important aspect of it that you shouldn't miss out on. So pay attention to that part. To talk about this subject, we have Alex Orman who actually just got married for the second time last week, so it's really top of his mind. and. If you don't know Alex already, Alex Allman is a sex coach who has been around since 2007. We actually interviewed him way back in episode 7 of 
Dating Skills podcast. That was a very sex advice focused episode if you want to check that out. While Alex is best known as a sex coach, really one of his, his big strengths is relationships and uh, relationship advice. And I know a lot of us who consider him a peer like have looked to him in the past for advice on our relationships. So it's really great to have him on the show to talk about marriage and long-term relationships. So let's get this interview started. Big congratulations. You know, I don't know if everyone knows yet, but you know, there's been a big change in your life. What is that? <laughs> I just got married. Wow. And we were just talking about how you weren't sure when it happened because it's been such a blur. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Weddings are, uh, weddings are kind of a huge, uh, or well, they can be a huge ordeal if you, uh, if you, you know, do the kidding. big one. I, we did the big one. That's, that's great. That's great. Is it, is it your first, by the way? I didn't ask you before. Uh, it is not. It is my, my second marriage. My okay. first one, however, was decades ago. Okay, cool. But anyway, you had a bit of experience. Like uh, um, You kind of knew. Where, I, for the first time, it must be like, wow, what the hell is going on a bit? But you kind of knew what to expect, I guess. I, I guess, you know, it, it was a different kind of wedding. Uh, when I was, um, I guess my first wedding, I was 28. Mm-hmm. And now I'm 47. So uh, different man different world what, what's going on with your life like uh, wh- where you know where are you like you can ask you're, you're roughly uh, 49 years old you said like wh- where do you hang out live you know where, where's kind of your life these days my life is uh, I split time between New York City and the Caribbean mm-hmm. uh, cut out the sucky months and um, you know married to uh, just an, in- an incredible incredible woman who mm-hmm. I uh, adore and who uh, who has an intense, probably the, the most amazing capacity of any woman I've ever met to uh, give and receive love. It's, uh, uh, wow. she's um, just a remarkable human and pretty much my fantasy. Um, we've been together for a lot of years. However, the, uh, the, the, the marriage, I think, you know, a marriage usually spiritually happens at the proposal. Mm-hmm. Maybe even maybe even years before the proposal for some couples, it, it happens at that point where you you spiritually, internally, without any doubts. Which, by the way, some people never get this part of it, uh, of mm-hmm. course. But there's this sort of internal cleanness where you just get that you're going to spend the rest of your life with this person, and that it's the most authentic thing that you could do. That there's no sense of opportunity cost. It's the most authentic thing you could do, and that it's it's just the the absolute right thing and you look each other in the eyes and you you see it and you realize it and there's no uh, there's never going to be another inch of space in that relationship where you could ever be uh, jealous or trying to play some power game or maintain you know your coolness in front of them because you're kind of at the point where it's clean it's just it's it's pure surrender with each other when you hit that spiritual moment I'm going to call that like when the marriage really happens. Now, the wedding, that's a party. That's a different thing. That's for everybody else. Yeah. Right? Wow. So, so how long did you know each other for? Uh, we've been together two years. Okay. And, and you've known her two years or, or did you know her before? Uh, I, I knew her for a... Um, yeah, I guess I've known her for two years. <laughs> I, I, I relentlessly pursued her for a couple of months in there. Uh, okay. But uh, but I you know our relationship is two years old. I yeah. uh, I originally met her in the Caribbean, and we uh, 
I, I, I had seen her out many times in this little weird expat town where I lived. Mm -hmm. And um, I thought she was underage, to be honest. And, you know, uh, it just didn't occur to me that I ought to talk to somebody who's probably under 18. She looks really young for her age. And uh, then I found out that she was actually 23 and it was just game on, you know, okay. I, uh, I was relentless, just fucking, I was like the Terminator. I love, I love that <laughs> I word. I could not be deterred. Relentless. It's, it's, it's excellent. Determination. We'll have it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was funny. I, I just, you know, and I, I kind of, I said to her, look, I literally, you know, it, I, one of the reasons why I had planned to leave this island where I've been living for a while mm -hmm. Uh, was that it was a small expat community and I'd kind of already, you know, uh, been with every woman I was going to be with, every woman who I was attracted to, uh, who wasn't already married to somebody else. You know, mm. we had already kind of hooked up and that was fun, but didn't work, you know. And uh, then tourists would come through. So, I mean, it wasn't like I was not getting laid. There was sex happening, yeah. but I was lonely. I, I really was craving a relationship. I hadn't mm. been in a relationship in a couple of years. And so I was planning on leaving and, you know, then I realized, oh, there's one that I haven't hit yet. So I was like, well, I got to hit that before I leave. And I, I've been planning to leave, so I got to hit that before I leave. So I was relentless. I was a fucking Terminator. Uh, I did not expect that we would fall, you know, madly head over heels in love. I mean, within weeks, I knew I was going to spend my life with her. Okay. Yeah, this is some of the stuff I wanted to get into in, in you know, the interview because, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting how you get to the point where you're going to say, you know, I, I want to get married um, versus... So, like... Like you've obviously you know been around a long time, and I know you've been around in the community a, a very long time too. How many women have you slept with? You know, is it is there a really really big number? And how many women have you had relationships uh, with? I God, I couldn't guess how many women I've slept with. I remember that'd be a tough one. I remember about um, eight years ago, mm. I was sitting and talking to Mystery slash Eric von Markovic, and he asked me the same question. Yeah, and I don't think anybody's asked me since. Uh, so, it, you know, and at the time I kind of sat down with a piece of paper and I tried to work <laughs> it out and I, you know, uh, it's funny because right before we hit record on this, we were talking about, you know, memory and <laughs> I have a bad one, you know, like, especially for details. And I was, I was first of all, really impressed by how many people I was like coming up with for weeks afterwards. I'm kind of oh, adding wow. them that I had totally forgotten the whole scenario and everything and certainly could no way could remember her name and wouldn't recognize her if she right. stood up in my suit. But I remembered <laughs> that situation in Vegas or whatever. Right. And uh, I, I came out with about 80 at that time. Mm. I, I guess, I don't know, in eight years, you know, I mean, I'm not, uh, I'm no Pua, by the way. I, I, I just, you know, for anybody who's listening to this really needs to know, I'm, I'm super bad at cold approaching and, mm. you know, I don't, uh, I, I have no real capacity to walk up to some woman I don't know and be like, hey, let me get a quick female opinion and get some IOIs and attraction and woo, you know, neg whatever. And, you know, that's not my, it's not my thing at all. Um, uh, but, you know, I guess... Uh, and there are guys who are super good at it. I mean, I, and I know a bunch of them, obviously, but I'm, I'm not uh, in that kind of PUA community. I'm just friends with a lot of PUAs and I business partners with a lot of PUAs because I teach sexuality and relationship. I'm kind of the guy you come to after you've already figured out how to, right, right. How to meet women, how to de-shy yourself. But... Um, so have you been mostly relationship? I mean, you said you said you hadn't been in a relationship for a while, but did you have like lots of like over the last like eight years? What was it? Lots? Of, are you meeting? Are you traveling a lot and meeting kind of women very briefly, or do you have like mini relationships? What kind of lifestyle were you living during that time? Uh, 
I'd say, you know, one night stands, many relationships and mm. kind of, I'm, I'm very open to relationship. I, I love being in relationship and I'm, mm. uh, I was going to say in the, in the eight years intervening, I had a three year relationship. I've okay. had, I've had like, I guess three, three year, three year relationships and one seven year relationship, which was my first marriage. Mm. And, uh, so I, yeah, I've been in, in quite a few relationships and then. I was going to say, I guess in, in the course of a year, I'm, you know, likely to have been with mm, 10 women, maybe, you know, uh, that would be a little less than one a month. Sounds right. We'll date for a while. Uh, you know, and then there will be a month where I hook up with a bunch of women and a couple of months where I'm in a relationship and, you know, but it's always been, uh, it's, it's pretty easy for me to um, end up in sexual relationships in spite of the fact that I'm terrible at doing this kind of like cold approach meeting women because, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an incredibly socially normal person. And, I, and that's, you know, I, that could be one of the topics that we talk about is that I, I, I remember having a conversation with uh, some of these, you know, um, pickup artist guys when I first became aware of the community. Mm. And, uh, you know, they had this, the world divided into the, uh, you know, the average frustrated chump and the natural, and then, you know, they, the pickup artist with right, the average right. frustrated Trump who, who becomes the natural. And I was trying to explain to them that there's this whole universe of men who are neither. You know, you know, mm. I'm, you know, I'm not a guy who's out every weekend banging babes that, you know, I'm not a natural, but I always have a beautiful girlfriend. I, I don't, and I'm not like afraid of women. I, you know, I don't, I don't have a problem getting laid. I can get laid, you know, I'm just, but I don't go out and do this thing. Yeah. I'm just a normal dude. But you, you know, <laughs> right, right. And as long as I've known you, you've been, you know, you've been very happy with your lifestyle. You know, it's yeah, it seems yeah, like right. I, I can't remember the first. You know, we were on that forum, uh, maybe 2005 or something. You seem to already have your dating and relationship life pretty much sorted at that point. Um, so maybe maybe it was already you know really well done before. But you know, so um, yeah, you, you've. Uh, it's it's just it's just there's many we have many people on this show that always tell us like their lifestyle is pretty pretty different. I think there's this expectation that um, people who are successful women are all going to have the same lifestyle, but the reality is that it's very different. And you know, people have different mot motivations. Um, they have you know different things that make me make them happy. So it's really good to hear like you know kind of how you crafted your life and what made you happy. I think that for a lot of men. Uh, what would make them happy is sexual variety in their 20s and find an amazing woman mm. who kind of rocks their world on every level by the time they're in their 30s and mm. then, uh, you know, craft something durable and, and beautiful. Mm. Uh, that would be, you know, I, I would hope the natural progression of things. I think that, the, you know, the, the pickup artist culture, which has really become very mainstream, I mean, it's hugely mainstream, it's hard to hard to find a guy who hasn't read anything about how to pick up chicks from you know that is somehow not sourced through something that right. Neil Strauss was teaching you right, know right. fifteen years ago right yeah it's hit mainstream now it's, I mean all the mainstream men's mags are, are putting that kind of stuff in their content yeah exactly and I and I I think that it is um, it, it from the very beginning, I think it was emotionally damaging men. I think it continues mm -hmm. to do so. Mm -hmm. But what's interesting is that's now the norm. And I think that a lot of men really, uh, they, they're being fed the kind of what 
is supposed to make them happy and not necessarily what will make them happy. And then they, they get really uh, messed up in that process. Yeah, it's, 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 it's kind of, it's a short term versus a long term, you know, and obviously we're always driven by the short term and that can kind of sabotage what we really want in that long term because it's more, it's more difficult to focus on the long term and actually, I guess, I guess it's just harder. It's not as tangible for us. So guys aren't thinking about that, you know, they think it's just going to happen somehow, I guess. Yeah, I think there's other, you know, there's other, it's not just short term, long term. There's a, um, a way of thinking about women that, that maybe, I mean, the short term, long term comes into play. There's this other element, though, that's like the whole process has kind of from its genesis been uh, set in a motion that, that isn't, you know, what would have naturally happened to you. Mm. And there's a, there's a lot of smart guys out there who are going to tell you about, well, you know, evolutionary biology suggests that we have to have a lot of women and mm -hmm. that's going to be what's natural and everything. And it's actually, you know, I've looked at a lot of this research there, you know, it, it's not solid. There's, there's really no reason to believe that we were particularly polyamorous and, you know, uh, ancient civilizations don't show any, any signs of dramatic polyamory or, you know, bonobo behavior. Uh, I think that, that, it is really natural behavior for people to cheat on the mate that they you right. know, want to. Yeah, I think that's kind of natural. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that monogamy, you know, uh, has some difficulty. But there's, a, you know, I've read as, as many case studies that says that we're naturally polyamorous as case studies that have said that, you know, no, in a tribe of 150 people, uh, you know, if you sleep with the wrong, you know, woman, then the guy who thinks of her as a possession is going to club you to death. You know, that's the yeah. way it happens, like in the Erie and Jaya and stuff. Like a lot of primitive tribes, you know, you don't mess with another man's woman. So, uh, uh, you know, there's a lot of different theories out there on, on a, how all this stuff happens. Yeah, and there's a lot of different types of marriage today, I think, you know, too. I think, sure. like, maybe it's been, it's, you know, to an extent it's been influenced by some, some of the material out there. But, you know, I think also that, you know, obviously... We're more liberated society today when we're, you know, more individualistic. So people are all following these different kind of paths. What kind, what kind of path, uh, like, have you set up just to set the context before we kind of discuss this properly? What, what kind of path have you set with your marriage? Or we're monogamous. Yeah. Um, there's a, there's a, there's a real lot of unpacking that has to go into um, how how we do monogamy versus the way other people do monogamy. Mm, yeah, this, um, is, this is something I was wanting to talk about. Yeah, I think it's interesting. Yeah. Because I, I think that, you know, uh, I, I, I don't make any judgments on, on polyamory or monogamy, and they're, they're both super valid mm. uh, choices, uh, but they can both be played at many different levels. And uh, I think that what ends up happening is that a lot of People who choose a polyamorous lifestyle will look at people who are monogamous and say, your entire relationship is built on possessiveness, jealousy, and fear. Mm -hmm. And and then, you know, and we're free and, uh, and mature. And mm -hmm. we've, we've dealt with our jealousy stuff. Uh, and then you have a lot of people who are monogamous that look at people who are polyamorous and they're like, you are just giant sluts and you're all going to hell. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, you know you've, you've, you've sold yourself out is what like a woman would say to another woman, you right. sold yourself out right. and you're, you know. What I like uh, there is that, you know, you're saying that even if you say you're monogamous, there's like lots of different versions of it, right? Because 
Uh, I remember like a, a couple I knew about uh, five years ago. I was pretty shocked when they both told me that they'd never talked about any of their past relationships. And when they when they when they hooked up, they basically made this rule that they would never talk about any of their past relationships or anything. So it's this whole area that neither of them knows anything about. And I was I was amazed that you could do that. It just seemed insane to me. And they were like, well, "Why wouldn't you do it? You have you have to do it that way, right?" Mm. Yeah. Right. That's uh, what I'm going to call pre-conventional monogamy and a probably, now listen, there, every, every human mm. is unique and every relationship is unique mm. as a combination of two humans. You can really, it, it's impossible to make predictions about an individual relationship. In, in, a, in, a, in a general case, not their specific case, but in a yeah. general case, the couple that's playing the we don't talk about that game are really um, setting themselves up for cheating in the future as a very natural, um, it's kind of a very natural emergent property of setting up a relationship where uh, a lot of what drives me sexually, intimately, and stuff like that, I'm supposed to keep as a secret from you. Right, right. I'm right. supposed to. That's, you know, that's groundwork. So, the, you know, the emergent property of that is that... Um, you know, the the stuff I'm interested in porn might not be something that I share with you or the stuff that I'm interested in, uh, you know, the my, my dirty fantasies, I, you know, they those might not be your purview and I might not feel compelled to tell you about that because you might judge me in the same way you might judge me for my past relationships. And likewise, you know, uh, if I'm with a woman in a chat room and just masturbating and I wouldn't tell you that, that would be like telling you about my ex-girlfriend or okay, so that girl who I met in Houston when I was on the business trip and, you know, she sucked my dick. And mm. yeah, I wouldn't tell you about that. You wouldn't want to know about that because that'd be like, you know what I mean? Yeah. They're, they're kind of, they're, they're establishing something that will emergently create a, a relationship where cheating happens. And I guess, you know, to some degree, if we wanted to be really frank about it, if, if people are happy in their relationship, happiness is kind of the, the goal of life. You know, to some degree, and the excitement of cheating along with like a great relationship with my wife because she doesn't know about it might be, you know, ideal for a lot of men uh, and for a lot of women. You know, of course, women cheat as much as men do. Yeah. Well, I'd say I, it's, it's really the norm. You know, I think it's a societal norm these no, days. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Of course, it's the societal norm. And if you look at, you know, the setups of the way sitcoms work, mm, yeah. which are kind of, you know, where we, we kind of see Joe America and, you know, uh, Jane America. And most of the situations that are funny revolve around some flirtation that was caught or some lie that was assumed or that, you know, like, I'll have to tell her this story because you can't tell your woman what you're really doing. And mm. that's, yeah, that's the normal relationship. And uh, I would, I would call that pre-conventional monogamy. Actually, I guess, I guess I'd have to call that conventional monogamy. Um, but, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of other possibilities there. Yeah. But it sounds like, like the, the way you're talking about, like the way you set up monogamy, it's kind of like establishing boundaries about how open you're going to be with your sexuality, right? Some people are willing to go 100% and just go, you know, I'm like this, you know, this is exactly how I am and just open the communication floodgates. Whereas as you're talking about, you know, a lot of people are going to hold some aspect of that back to differing degrees. Well, I, I think what happens is, uh, you know, there's uh, there's kind of 
there's this model that uh, I actually first heard from good old Evan Pagan, who's a very close friend of mine. Yeah. And he, he was talking about it. Uh, it's, it's a terrific model. I, I think that the guy's name was Sullivan, but there was a psychologist who came up with this model mm. of morality, and he called it pre-conventional, conventional, and post-conventional. And mm. uh, Evan overlaid it on business and all these different things. And I've begun using I, I see it everywhere now. It's a right. really powerful model. And basically, pre-conventional morality is the teenager who who basically uh, just doesn't want to get caught. And if they don't get caught, it's all good. So, you know, teenagers will shoplift. They don't think twice about it. They have no moral compunction about taking something from a shop, you know, whether that's a six-pack of beer under the coat or a piece of jewelry or whatever it is. Uh, same with, like, you know, doing drugs or whatever. Like, as long as I don't get caught, I don't really see any reason why I wouldn't do whatever I want to do that's good for me. Mm-hmm. So that, that's pre-conventional morality. And uh, conventional morality is social contract. Like, you don't steal from people because you don't want people to steal from you. And uh, that's, you know, society works when we all kind of obey the social contract and understand there's consequences that are broader than just me here. Um, And then post-conventional morality is where you, there's the social contract has nothing to do with it. You actually have an intuitive, Mm. deep sense of empathy. You don't steal from somebody because you have a a sense of how horrible it would be to to be stolen from. Mm. You don't take you know, a six pack of beer from somebody's store because you consider your own business. And so, for example, when people, you know, uh, buy one of my books or rather steal one of my books at an online, you know, file sharing service and then, you know, put it up even in more places where more people can steal it because they don't get that they're taking food out of my mouth, my family's, you know, table, right? They like, that's how I make my living. And I equate... For me, you know, stealing a, you know, shoplifting something from somebody's store is the same as when somebody steals something from me. Well, much worse, really, because they spent money on it. I mean, I really get there's no, that there isn't a clean moral equivalence there. But, but it's, you know, if somebody was siphoning money out of my bank account right. and, and how that would feel. And I don't want to make somebody feel that way because I have a deep sense of empathy. And that's post-conventional morality. Hmm. However, the person in post-conventional morality has very little regard for the law as written. And so what happens is... They, you know, I don't mind smoking pot. I'll do that all day long because I know I'm not hurting anybody else. So there was there was a time when social contract meant something to me. In fact, I, you know, one of my old jobs, I used to train uh, police officers in self-defense tactics. Mm. And I hung out with cops and I was in that moral space of, you know, bad guys need to be put in jail and that kind of thing. Mm. You know, that's conventional morality. And, you know, what's interesting is that for those friends of mine who are cops, that that person in conventional morality, they can't distinguish pre-conventional and post-conventional. Mm-hmm. They look the same. So the teenager who's like, I'm going to smoke pot because fuck you and your laws, mm-hmm. they see that person as equivalent to, you know, the old hippie in San Francisco who's like, I smoke pot because I know I'm not hurting anybody else or I would never do it. They don't, they, so the, the cop to them, you know, you're both lawbreakers. They don't see... Uh, that there's a moral non-equivalence there. So uh, this model overlays everywhere, basically. And, you know, pre-conventional monogamy is basically the the guy in every mafia movie who says, babe, you know, it's you and only you and I would never cheat on you. (laughs) And then calls up his friend and says, so are we on tonight with the strippers? It's like he's he's literally like he's, he, he never even thought that he was going to keep the monogamy thing. 
He just knew that he had to say that to not get in trouble with the wife before totally. he went out and slept with the mistress. Mm. That's preconventional monogamy. It never even occurred to him that he was going to try and be monogamous. That wasn't even, that never entered the conversation. He was just going to say what he had to say to get laid or to marry the right girl. And then, you know, of course he was going to cheat. That would be preconventional monogamy. And then mm. conventional monogamy is, is kind of built on this fear and guilt and scarcity and jealousy. And I don't want you to cheat on me. Because I feel like, what if he was better than me or he had a bigger dick than me? I'd kill myself. And you know what I mean? Or what if you like him better and you leave me? And that would be horrible. And, mm. and I'd be less of a man if you had an orgasm with him. Or, right. You know? Mm. So that, that kind of thing. And so therefore, mm. therefore, I'm not going to cheat on you. Because I, you know, I know. Because I'm scared. Yeah, yeah. right. I'm, we should both be scared. We're, we should be jealous and possessive of each other. Right. And, mm. So that, and, and, and I'm going to really, you know, try and be a good boy. And then, yeah, that guy who's off on a business trip somewhere, he knows it could never get back to her. He'll probably cheat. But, you know, if he thinks there's any way that he could get back to him, he's, he's not going to cheat. He's not, he's certainly not going to brag about it to his friends. He's really, he wants to do the right thing uh, out of fear, out of fear and jealousy right. and guilt and shame and all those things. So that, that'd be conventional um, monogamy. And post-conventional monogamy is a totally different concept. It's, it's a place where you've, you've entertained the possibility that if your woman could have better sex with somebody else, she ought to because mm -hmm. you, you love her and you're a stand for her pleasure. And uh, when, you, when you kind of arrive at this place where you're like, you know, I don't like it. I guess there's some natural animal part of me that would be like confronted by this. But, I, you know, I, I wouldn't, wouldn't stand in the way of your freedom to pursue uh, your pleasures and your, your full se sexual self-expression, if that included other partners. And so I've kind of like I've dealt with that. And what I find now is that um, because of the intensity of our connection and because of the intensity of sex, the intensity of sex drive, the intensity of this, like, you know, it's, it's up there with, you know, fear of death. It's, it's this very intense expression of our humanity. Mm -hmm. And I want to kind of concentrate it and focus it all into this relationship as a matter of devotion, as, as the sweetness of devotion, as the satisfaction of that devotion. Now, you know, the, the, the truth is that the, the guy who's in jealousy and monogamous, he looks at the guy in post-conventional monogamy and he goes, yeah, see, we're just the same. You and I believe in monogamy. We're not like these weird swingers. We don't swing because that's weird, right? Wink, wink. Mm -hmm. You and I are in the same boat, but we're not. We're not. Post-conventional monogamy is different. It really, it, it really is different. It's a different beast completely. Right. It's no challenge for me to be monogamous because it's an act of pleasurable devotion. But you don't get there, you know, by accident. You well, need to pass through the other stages. You literally have to first be a cheater. You can't get there from here otherwise. Right, right. Well, it's, it sounds like that basically the post-conventional uh, monogamy is, is, is monogamy because it's good, good for us, right? It's, it's good, it's, it's good it's for us. It's monogamy because it's, 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 my, it's my, um, my highest expression of uh, my sexual freedom. That's that's why it's good. And right. by the way, it's not it's better. It's choice. It's about choice. And it's not better. We chose I, to be together because we our lives are better together rather than the the other the other ones where they are, they're actually not a hundred percent happy with each other, right? And those two other models you looked at. Yeah, no, they're they're definitely not a hundred percent happy. They might be happy enough, mm. but they're definitely not a hundred percent happy. A hundred percent happy is totally different from ninety nine percent happy. By the way, it's 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 a different category. Mm. Like ninety nine percent happy in your relationship is like a little bit better than 
but 100% is a different animal. Because yeah, because if you don't have 100%, you you got that niggling thing in the back of your head. Yeah, you know? it's just not you're not you're not playing a surrendered game. It's just it's a different game. Mm. It's just a totally different game because once you're at 100%, it frees you up for all like like the whole bandwidth changes. Every you know, it just frees you up to ex explore a whole new realm of you know what it is to be in relationship, not just with your woman, but with the universe that created this situation. It's a very it becomes a very spiritual journey at 100%. It's a totally it's a totally separate issue. And, uh, you know, <laughs> I mean, we're getting we're getting into some really yeah, deep territory this, here. It's difficult to explore. But uh, I'll circle back and just say that polyamory works the same way. There's mm. pre-conventional polyamory, which is is exactly the same as pre-conventional monogamy, which is, of course, I'm polyamorous. And of course, I'm not going to tell my wife only an idiot would do that. <laughs> right. Likewise, right. the woman, but women are the same way. You know, of course, I cheat on her. But, mm -hmm. you know, meanwhile, he's paying the fucking bills. You think I'm an idiot? I'm going to cut off the gravy train. Mm. You know, that's. That's pre-conventional monogamy, uh, uh, polyamory, and it's like your average high school kid. <laughs> They're all doing that, right. you know. And hopefully, they grow out of that into some conventional polyamory, which looks like swingers. Yeah, you know, where we've made a contract that we're just too slutty to ever. We're just going to deal with it. You know, mm. we're just too slutty. And then, um, you know, but but that has to feel kind of even. Uh, that almost always has breakdowns all over the place. If she's getting laid more than he is, or, you know, she's with a guy with a big dick, or, you know, like there's breakdowns everywhere in, 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 in swinger culture, and they, they usually lack intense intimacy. Right. This is something I want to explore in, in later episodes, the whole world of swingers and polyamory, because I think, you know, they've got a lot of rules and contracts. Like they've looked a lot into boundaries. They've, they've kind of had to look into some things in a lot more detail than other people because of, you know, the situation that they're dealing with. Totally. And it's it's a an interesting subject that we can mm -hmm. dig pretty deeply into. Uh, but I'll just mention that there's post-conventional polyamory, too. Yeah. And post-conventional polyamory is um, my my love for you and my my commitment to you is that you will be the best you you can be and you will uh, be the most fully self-expressed version of you that you can be in this lifetime. Life mm -hmm. is short, terribly short. We're absolutely going to die, mm. and we want to experience everything we can in this lifetime. And and I am a stand for your freedom, self development, and growth. And mm. I know that that self development, freedom, and growth is served by you really understanding in a shame free environment everything that there is to understand about pleasure and sex that you can handle, and that you probably can't experience that through one person. Right. And I get that. And so mm. I'm willing to deal with my jealousy and deal with whatever else for that growth. And I'll add into that, and I recognize the self-growth that can occur by my confronting my natural inclination towards jealousy and possessiveness and learning mm -hmm. how to love in absence of jealousy and possessiveness. That's post-conventional polyamory. It's, it's a beautiful mm -hmm. structure for a relationship. It, it's not the one that, that I chose, mm -hmm. but it's, it's not invalid. It's a beautiful structure for a relationship. Yeah, right, right. So, what, yeah. so what, what do you think makes the difference between, because, you know, I think especially guys who've had a bit of success, you know, they're, they're going to come to this this point where I'm, I'm not kind of really sure what I want. Why did, why did you choose to go the route of monogamy? Have you always been that way? Has that kind of been an inclination from the start? Or is it something that you kind of realize is, is right for you? you? You literally cannot inclination that from the start. You okay. can only start with fear and jealousy. Hmm. You, you can't do it. And you, you start with fear, jealousy, and desire. And your mm. desire is to fuck a lot of bitches. Right. You know, let's, let's be clear. That is absolutely natural. Mm. You know, I don't, I don't know that polyamory is the natural state of humans, but I know for fucking sure 
that jealousy and possessiveness is. And I know for fucking sure that desire to fuck a lot of bitches is. I mean, that is definitely built into the animal, mm. you know, just like it's built into the animal to savagely beat to death anybody that, you know, cuts you off on the freeway. That's built into the animal. Now, we don't do that. And I think it's good that we don't do that. It is mm. not built into the animal to spend uh, lengthy amounts of time solving mathematical equations. That requires discipline and some greater sense that my benefit is served and my the benefit of my tribe, of my people, of my love for all of humanity is served by creating art or by creating science or by you know digging into something that's even deeper that we're going to call um, self-expression and self-actualization. Like that shit doesn't come online when you're not getting laid. Mm -hmm. And that shit doesn't come online when you're not eating, right? It's just kind of Maslow's hierarchy. First, you got to be safe. If you if you're if something is chasing you and about to kill you, you're not thinking about monogamy, right? You don't give a shit. You just need to deal with the lion. Sure. Well, once you've dealt with like, we're safe, you have to deal with I need to be getting laid. You just need to I mean, when you're not getting laid, life is like, at a full stop. You know, then once you're getting laid, you've got then you're looking for, you know, intimacy and connection and friendship and that mm -hmm. kind of thing. When you've got that, then you're ultimately looking for greater and greater self actualization. So, you know, these things don't this this mad desire, this this kind of infantile mad desire for lots of chocolate and lots of sex that's built into the beast. You can't start at some. Yeah, I'm just and you're not you, nobody's born the Buddha. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? This is a this is a developmental process. And I think everybody should enjoy every step along the way. I mean, you know, when you're when you're 19 years old, yeah, yeah indulge, indulge, be authentic, though. You know, don't mm -hmm. lie to women. You don't need to lie. Hopefully, you've you've gotten enough moral self-development to be in post-conventional morality, at least, where you're like, I don't want to hurt anybody. Mm -hmm. You can start building honest relationships that involve, you know, hey, we're just dating. I'm seeing other people. And, you know, hopefully uh, enjoy that stage women love sex too believe me you're not you're not hurting anybody by playing that game yeah yeah totally but i mean there's there are people who you know do decide to go the polyamory uh way for the for the longer term you know they have open marriages I've, I've met young people doing this i've met older people doing this uh, what do you think makes the difference between the people kind of end up in a monogamous marriage versus a polyamorous well there's there's two possibilities you know possibility one is at the conventional level Mm -hmm. uh, which is, you know, my, my desire for intimacy and deep connection is not as great as my desire for exploring a bunch of sexual opportunity mm -hmm. or, uh, my sluttiness is greater than my jealousiness, mm -hmm. you know, uh, or the other way around. My jealousy is greater than my sluttiness. I'm slutty, but I'm really fearful and jealous, right? So that's, that's kind of it at the conventional level at the post-conventional level. You know, what's really happening is you're looking at the character of your love and, and what the values of that love look like. Like I said, every relationship is unique, just like every human is unique. And mm. so, you, you know, we know that there are humans that um, really love to live out in the countryside where they can cozy up in front of the fire and play board games. And that sounds like the Paradise Weekend for them. And there are other people who are like the Paradise Weekend is Vegas. You know what I mean? <laughs> So you get that there's like people that just have different character. And right. when two people come together, that relationship has its own kind of blossoming character. And mm. it's it's just obvious that what is going on between my wife and I is served the most beautifully as a mm. devotional relationship. Mm -hmm. But there are, you know, I have friends whose relationships, they're, they're explorers by nature. Uh, and I have a strong exploratory nature as well, but it, it's not my ultimate priority. 
Mm. Intimacy is my ultimate priority. If your ultimate priority is that kind of pushing the edges of what's possible uh, and you kind of, um, and and your relationship with your woman really like meets at that level intellectually, emotionally, and sexually, then polyamory is naturally just going to be where you evolve if you get there. You know, like a lot of people Mm. never overcome the jealousy bug or the fear bug or the scarcity bug. and. You know, but eventually, if you were to follow it developmentally, if they, if you took that couple and you kept them together for two hundred years, they'd get to polyamory. Trust me, mm. they get there. You mm. know what I mean? It's just because some people just never developmentally reach that level in their lifetime. Mm. That's interesting you say that. Do you, do you know a guy called Steve Pavlino? He's quite big in the self development world. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't know if you followed his story, but you know, he he was married. He had kids, um, and you know, he was. He was he had the biggest self-development blog on, on the on the internet at one point. I don't know if it's still the case. Um, and he eventually actually got introduced to kind of dating advice by Evan um, with one of his programs. And from there he started exploring it more. And he decided with his wife that he wanted polyamory, but that they were gonna stay together. Um, but you know, interestingly, pretty quickly later he decided he was gonna split up from his wife you know, and, and from his family, and he was going to pursue that life different, you know, going another way. So the way I kind of looked at that from, from an outsider perspective was that, you know, in a way, like looking at your model as well, like he hadn't gone through that first period of, you know, having success with women and getting out there and everything before that marriage. So he wasn't, he, he wasn't ready for polyamory in, in that sense. Like he, he was getting a taster. He decided like, like internally, subconsciously, I think when he was talking with his wife about this polyamorous relationship, he's probably thinking like, you know, I haven't, I haven't been with a lot of women or, you know, I haven't really experienced that. So it's going to be good for me. Um, and then when he started to taste a bit for it, he wanted more of it. Right. So he broke out of the relationship and, you know, obviously leaving his kids and that's a bit, you know, it's just a kind of a big decision to make, but he, he made that decision. Um, so maybe I don't think he made that decision in vacuum of his wife, by the way, his wife had a lot to say about that. I mm-hmm. think the, the relationship completely melted down and exploded in his face. Right. That's right. what happened. Okay. Yeah. Because he hadn't been through those stages. Exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, he saw, I think, you know, looking from the outside in and I, I don't, I don't know Steve, by the way, right. uh, but I know people that know him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, so I, I got, I didn't, by the way, I didn't even read any of his blog posts on it. So I'm really talking out my ass here. But, <laughs> right? So, but, but, but let me just like kind of frame this because we're, we're, we're not trying to help Steve Pavlina. What we're trying to do is help the guy listening right, right now, totally. the guy was, you know, the third guy in the room with us. And so I can just say that as a general case, the Steve Pavlinas of the world, the way I understood it to happen is that he was just really sexually bored in mm-hmm. his marriage, but he wanted to be a good guy and didn't want to cheat. And then he heard about all this like cool polyamory thing that all these like really cool evolved smart people were doing in San Francisco. And he was like, yeah, that's the way I'm going to get more pussy. And then he kind of right. sold it to his wife as kind of like, yeah, this is evolved and cool and it's going to take us to the next level of trust and intimacy, babe, because this is the way those people talk. Mm-hmm. They talk that way because they, they actually are at the next level of trust and intimacy. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, he kind of saw that and said, yeah, I can sell my wife this thing. And by the way, he probably lied to himself too. I can sell myself yeah. this thing. It sounds great on paper. Mm-hmm. And the next thing you know, uh, he's fucking a lot of women, not his wife, enjoying that, not particularly enjoying his wife that much, but hey, we're in love and you're my primary relationship. And then one day she was like, this fucking sucks. Or she, you know, was with some other dude and he was like, whoa, this hurts. And, you know, the whole thing just exploded. Yeah. And that and that's typical. Of course, it's going to explode because they're not they're not ready right. uh, emotionally uh, for it. Right. 
Well, I think, I think the whole, like, as you said, I think the polyamory thing is definitely a lot more complicated, you know, and it's something, uh, it's not something maybe, maybe you could work into, like, we're, we're having experience, like, in your 20s, you know, dating several women at the same time and, and stuff like that could give you some kind of basis. Uh, multiple relationships is, you know, is something that uh, a lot of guys do for a while. I did, I did for a while. I don't know. Me too. Uh, yeah. yeah. So that gives you some tasting of that kind of relationship, although it's not, I wouldn't say it's polyamory in in a stricter sense where you have this open relationship and you're telling each other everything because normally you know when you're in a multiple relationships you're not telling them all the details because realistically most girls aren't going to want to hear that so you have to kind of get closer to be able to reveal that kind of stuff right it's like your friend's marriage we never told each other about our previous partners right uh, right yeah it's yeah. kind of kind of that way it's there yeah. you, you both know it but you don't talk about it right right i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna say that's very similar to conventional polyamory not post-conventional polyamory and hmm. conventional polyamory can work and it, it generally like i said it works on low stakes relationships so you can marry somebody and it can still be a low stakes relationship because you're just kind of emotionally dead i mean hmm. you know it would be really easy for somebody i i, I can I, maybe i'm talking on my ass here i don't i don't really know a whole lot about the uh the uh the condition but uh you know people with asperger's i i can imagine could you know just go into this they don't have a whole lot of emotional understanding anyway mm. so you know yeah sure you fucked another guy who cares you know what i mean but if there's you know when, when i was doing the dating multiple women thing in my 20s I, I had nothing at stake in those relationships i didn't feel like i you know i mean i really cared about these women i, I liked them i wanted good for them but i didn't i didn't have any sense of jealousy around it because i didn't didn't feel like i was in some kind of a deep, intimate relationship with them. So that, that can be true for somebody who's married, you know? <laughs> it can be very true for somebody that's married. Unfortunately. So Yeah, well, but they may not, if it works for them, it's great. Like mm. I said, I don't think it's the highest high. Right. Uh, but, you know, not everyone's going to get the highest high. Yeah, yeah, totally. Or but maybe we should aim for that. But, you know, let's talk a bit about marriage and uh, motivation. First of all, like, do we planning this? Like, cause, so I, I know some things happen in people's lives like I, I think back myself, you know, often it's like I get to a stage of my life and I'm, I'm open to these ideas, these new ideas, these new ways of, of doing things and taking my relationships and whatever, right? So is that something that happened to you? You got to a stage of your life, you're like thinking, yeah, I'm open to marriage again, right? Because you said you, you got married earlier in your life. Or is it that you kind of met this girl and she started to make you think, oh, this girl's special, um, maybe I should think about marriage. Which kind of way does it work for you? And what? I've never been close to marriage. I'm a, mm. I'm a, a romantic guy in general. I love mm. romance and I love, um, I love deep intimacy. I, I love that with my male friends too, by the way. There's no romance there, but, mm. but you know, really dropping in with another dude and being you know, deeply authentic in our friendship is a, a powerful experience for me. I, I, I dig deep relationship with humans. Mm. And so you know, na naturally in my romantic relationships, there's gonna be that expression as well. Um, you know, my first marriage, again, it's, you know, decades ago, right? I mean, mm -hmm. 27 to 47 is a lot, of, a lot of development happens in there, 28 to 47. But, um, you know, that was a seven-year relationship and, I, and, it, and it completed, you know, uh, it, it, it was perfect. I loved being married. I loved every day of it. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, it, you know, I didn't come out of that going, oh, marriage is for suckers. I mean, I, I had an amazing, amazing uh, relationship. And... Um, and it, it kind of reached its natural completion, where there wasn't anything else for us to uh, to learn from each other. Uh, we were we were done. We had grown apart in a lot of ways, uh, and it was, you know, of course, 
monstrously painful when relationships end, even when they're complete. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so I, I, I went through some shit, uh, without a doubt. Um, but it, you know, there, in retrospect, had it not ended, I, there was a universe of experiences that I wouldn't have had uh, with many other women who I've, I've really uh, loved and adored. And, um, you know, none of that, none of those adventures would have happened. So it was, you know, totally appropriate. And I've never been close to marriage. I mean, I, I, I think I always knew that I would fall, you know, epically in love again. I was in another three-year relationship prior to this one that mm. I, you know, uh, really, really fought to uh, create the ideal fully surrendered 100% state that it would take for me to uh, to want to get married again mm. and we we didn't quite reach it and it was you know the, you know the by the way the, the funny thing is the closer you get to 100% the more painful it is because that's why a lot of people turn back you know a 50% relationship isn't that painful to be in and you know you don't fight a lot you're mm. friends the sex is pretty good you know then you meet somebody who's better and you break up and the breakup's not so painful and you know what i mean 50% relationships are easy uh, 70% relationships are hard. You know, you can really get your, your heart stomped and 80% relationships, you're really vulnerable. You know, 90% relationships are like, you know, that's where the monster fights that leave you like crushed in a puddle exist. Like the, the wow. in other words, the more committed you are to a relationship, the, the more pain you potentially expose yourself to, mm -hmm. you know, you're, 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 you're being much more vulnerable at that level. And that's why. That's why I say 100% is a different animal because you're mm. not vulnerable at 100% anymore. So all that shit goes away. There's no oh. pain in a 100% relationship. They're, they're easy. It's the easiest thing in the world. Okay. That's easy love. But you're saying you have to work to get there. It's not like you, you met this girl and it was 100% from the get-go. No, no. You got to face a lot of fear to get there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So when, when did you start, for example, in, in this relationship where you are now? Did you start? Do, do you start at a higher level? Like in terms of you're more willing to? Or do you have to kind of start from zero every time and... And, and I think you have to up. start. From, I think you have to start from zero every time. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, when I say zero, I mean, you know, there's uh, how much do you like a girl on, you know, that that first date or even that first meeting? Like there are times when, you know, you meet a woman and you're talking and you get lost in conversation all night. And by the way, she's the hottest woman you've ever seen in your life. She's so mm -hmm. hot that there's like a piece of you inside that's literally shaking like a leaf because. You just like literally can't believe the level of hotness. And the fact that you're having this great conversation means you actually could end up having sex with her later. And that's kind of blowing your mind and making it almost right. impossible to even understand what the words coming out of her mouth because the animal beast inside of you is just so blown out by her beauty. And, you know, then you kind of make that sudden discovery that she's into you. Mm -hmm. You know, like when you kiss her, it's like that moment is like on fire and you realize like she's kind of horny for me too. And then, you know, you could be like very, very quickly at like, this is a high stakes game for me. I'm 80% in. And if it turns out mm. that, you know, if, if it turns out that uh, you have sex with her that night and then you text her the next day and she doesn't return the text. Right. Oh, ow, motherfucker, um. what? You know? <laughs> Like, so you did kind of invest, like you were, yeah. you were way, you know, you really thought this is my girlfriend. I'm crazy about this girl. You know what I mean? And the next thing you know, uh, she's not into you. That's, that's painful, right? We all know that's painful because you, you mm -hmm. invested a lot. You went 80%, 85, 90%, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, my current relationship, I, I, I really was crazy about her from the first date. I just got it. I was like, she's extraordinary. And I also knew I was leaving. 
which mm. I think made me a little cooler than I might have been otherwise. Mm. Right. But then, you know, the whole leaving thing kind of got swept under very quickly because we were, you know, I realized that this was a, a, a special person who was going to be, you know, a pivot in my life. Yeah. Wow. So I, I was I was thinking there, like, um, I, th- I think there's a difference between meeting someone. I mean, you, you can tell because, you, you know, your wife is, is, is pretty young. My, my, the girl, the girlfriend I have right now is pretty young too. So they're at a different stage of their life. And, and you know, let, let, let me, let me uh, see, see what you think about this. When, when someone is more self-aware, like, you know, obviously all of the stuff we do, you know, all the relationships we live through, you know, um, we're a bit older, 30, 38. We've had a fair amount of experience and we're a lot, you become a lot more self-aware because you've just been through a lot more stuff, right? It just kind of happens naturally. Take some work as well, you know, that's what we're here for on this show. Um, but when you meet someone else who's also self-aware, does that, does that allow things to move quicker and, and to be clearer and, and to put yourself out there more to this, you know, to push more to 100%? Because that, that's, that's an angle I was thinking about while you were talking. Well, yeah, of course. I mean, uh, you know, you can't, you can't really go to 100% with somebody who's incapable right. of meeting you there. Like, I, mm-hmm. you know, they have to be at your developmental level. If they're not at your developmental level, you're not, you're going you're gonna to know in your heart that this just can't fucking happen. And you're going to, but that doesn't mean you can't keep dating them and try and grow them and see where mm-hmm. they go. And, you know, uh, that th- th- things could progress. But yeah, I mean, if, if, if you're capable of doing a certain level of relationship and they're not, and then you lie to yourself about it, which a lot of men do, a lot of women do. I mean, I think women do it more than men. Women really, you know, want to believe this could be a great guy, but mm. he's really, he ain't there. And all of her friends are like, dude, he's a douchebag. He's sleeping with other people. <laughs> and she's like, no, he's a good guy. Like, you know, when you deceive yourself, you're, you're screwed. Mm. Uh, and, you know, her age really was, you know, it was along with the fact that I was leaving, mm. informed me that this wasn't going to be serious. But then I, you know, I was wrong. I you was were wrong. wrong. <laughs> yeah, was, yeah, right. Yeah, that was that was bad. And I I realized I was wrong within I would say it was about two weeks. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I realized I was kind of wrong, and then probably in about three four weeks, I realized I'm in love with her. And yeah. like about two weeks later, mm. I was surprised to discover that uh, I was pretty clear that I was going to spend my life with her at that point. Wow. You know, I didn't propose immediately, but I, I was mm. super clear on it. I knew I I could see that I had never met anybody like her before, and that. Um, then I had a great willingness to, uh, to take this as far as it could go and make her my life's project. Um, now that, you know, I couldn't have done that 20 years ago. I just, I didn't have enough self-knowledge. I was much mm-hmm. more in the place of lying to myself and, you know, when I mean, she's hot, she must be cool. You know, like, uh, that, that kind of thing, uh, it really does take time to develop but different people you know there are people that mature super early mm. and my, my wife is one of them you were talking about self-awareness I it, it, it's such a big quality um, being able to regard the self with perspective is one of the hallmarks of maturity that most people you know never get they, they live in their life so they can never really look at their life right. and then this is the majority of people are kind of stuck in that conventional state I remember uh, very recently, uh, just actually as part of the wedding festivities, a bunch of um, my wife's friends flew in. She's mm. from she's from Moscow originally, though we met in the Caribbean, and mm. a couple of her Moscow friends flew in. And uh, she's also happens to be uh, in the art world. She's got a master's degree in art criticism, and one of her friends from her same academic group uh, was here and, and was talking about a third friend of theirs who I didn't meet, and mm. the conversation went a little something like, "Yeah, he." Uh, 
he won't play this game of liberal politics. And, you know, if you're going to be in the art world, you kind of have to be part of this liberal politics thing. And it's it's fun. It gives us good guys and bad guys. And, you know, so uh, you, you, you play that game. You have to be in that world. You have to be part of that conversation or it's going to be hard for you to be in the art world. Mm. And like I, I immediately got that we could be great friends because she's got perspective on her own life. She, she's living in the world of liberal politics and in fact is politically liberal. She is politically liberal, but she's got that self-regard on it. Like, well, of course I am. This is just part of my world. I can't help not. That's the conversation that's around me. And so that's who I am. And, you know, the, the actual moral consequence of that is not something that, you know, I, I need to examine too deeply because I, I get that there's two sides to this coin and that, you know, I'm just living in this world. And you know what I mean? Like she had, she was able to have perspective on, on her own sort of social universe and not just be of it. Right, right. So, I mean, that's, that's a, but when you can do that around relationship, when you can understand yourself around women, uh, you, you're in a different place. You're in a different space than other men are. That's a mature space. You know, when you get it, when you're like, yeah, you know, it's like, I'm, I'm really jealous, but that's because I'm just kind of like, that's the right. animal inside me. But what's really relevant here is that I'm lying to myself because she's actually going to cheat on me. She's absolutely a party girl and pretending yeah. otherwise right, is idiotic. Right. And you know what I mean? Like you, like when you get it, you get it. You're like, you're, you know, and I'm probably going to lie to myself and do some stupid things along the way. Like when you, you, you kind of have that conversation right. with yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And then good conversations to have. So you touched on a few things about basically selecting the right women for marriage, right? Cause you know, obviously, you know, there's a, there's a lot of people who maybe aren't making the best decisions. I think a lot of people maybe settle for something which isn't, isn't exactly what they want in, in this life. Um, what, what do you think is the, important for in a woman uh, to make a good marriage something that's going to last like you're looking really at the 100 percent. you're looking at something that's going to last for the rest of your life now if you're if you're someone who's looking for that kind of level what what's important to look for in a woman well I, you know i think women come by it a lot more e easily than men uh, mm -hmm. first of all but you know emotional maturity and self-awareness and kind of um uh, you know, a woman who can say, wow, I'm really attracted to that douchebag and it pisses me off that I'm attracted to because I know it's like the douchebag switches that are working in me right now. Right. Like that level of self-awareness in a woman's probably a good idea. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. uh, that level of maturity is probably an important piece before you uh, settle down with a woman. Mm -hmm. But the reality is that, that a woman's capacity to do that doesn't exist in a vacuum. It, mm -hmm. You know, a woman who can do that is a woman who's confident that she's loved. Mm -hmm. You know, a woman, you, you that same woman, you know, catch her post breakup and watch her lie to herself and not realize she's doing it. You know what I mean? Like catch her in a bad emotional state. So mm. um, there's, you know, I mean, listen, if you're settling, you're settling. If you're not wildly, wildly attractive and juiced up by the woman that you're with, then you're settling. Like, don't do that. Right. That's your recipe for disaster. Mm. You know, recipe for disaster. Um, I think men know when they're settling, you know, uh, but the the. The possibility that I would like to put out there is that more often than not, uh, it, it is literally your decision as to who she's going to be in relationship with you because of the way you're entering. The, like I said, the relationship yeah. is not her and it's not you. It's a beast formed by the two of you if if you are really not jealous if you're really supremely confident that right. this is you know she's awesome and that you're you know when you're when, when you've got your shit on lockdown and you really um 
And, and, and the, the vast majority of guys who come from this kind of pickup artist background uh, can never do this, but it's a trick they will never do because they programmed it out of themselves. They literally think that to have their confidence on lockdown means they have to have power in the relationship, means they have to have their options open, means she better know that I could get another chick. Like the guy that lives in that space literally can't have the relationship I have. Mm -hmm. He can't. It's not available to him. He's, he's got he's to literally unlearn everything he's learned, start over again, and then go through the stages. He's cheated himself out of authentic relating. It can't happen because, uh, by the, you know, another conversation we had earlier mm -hmm. uh, before we started recording was uh, about, um, I, can, I, can I name names? I, I don't know, you know, how <laughs> I don't know. You, know, you can choose whether you want to you know, bleep this out later. But sure. uh, we, we were talking about Vin DiCarlo's product and, um, you know, Pandora's box. And it's, it's, it's a solid product. It's good. I, you know, I, he sent me a review copy. I was like, this is fucking solid. This guy's a genius. And he's come up with something that I would endorse. You know, it's mm -hmm. like a, a program for really understanding who a woman is. And, and, and then, you know, being able to then bring out those sides of yourself that mesh with her and, and, and I think in general, more authentic sides of yourself. So instead of like really trying hard to pretend you're a nice guy, you get to actually go, oh, she's not interested in that. We, you know, she's more authentically drawn to this. And that might even scare you away. You may discover what kind of girl she is and be like, I don't want any fucking part of that. Mm. But, the, but the basis of it is that you're going to have a conversation with her in which you really try and figure out what she's like, what she's about. Mm. And that process actually will build real intimacy versus, hey, let me get a female opinion of you on something that I'm going to run this routine on you, right? This is like, there's something much more authentic about this mm. or than like, you know, uh, some kind of game where I'm going to play like that I have no scarcity or whatever, you know, that little thing that you're going to do is much more authentic mm. and, and, and potentially builds a real relationship. I like the product. The marketing, however, is like the most misogynistic clusterfuck of craziness. Now, that's not because Vin DiCarlo is a misogynist. Oh, he might be. I don't know the guy. He might be. But what I do know about him from what other people have said and from the fact that he makes as much money as he does is that he's a great fucking marketer. And a great fucking marketer is somebody who, you know, figures out what hook is going to make people be like, I got to have that. I got to spend my money on it. And that hook turned out to be this misogynistic you know, video sales letter. And that says something about the men that are watching it. And what it says is they're very fucking angry with women because the woman is stopping me from getting the pussy. That's the mentality. That's the average mentality. But you yeah, I think you also have to look at, you know, different products are uh, pushed on different, in different places, right? So uh, the example there is, you know, it's, it's being pushed on porn sites and adult sites and you know, versus if it was on Facebook, um, you know, it's, it's not going to work as well, that video for someone, someone you know, just, just cruising Facebook. Not that Facebook would ever allow that kind of stuff uh, right. to, to, to be on there or, you know, but other examples like men's health, if you're advertising in men's health or wherever, I'm sure it wouldn't work, but you wouldn't convert as well. It wouldn't, it wouldn't work as well and people wouldn't be so responsive. So it is being, I think it's being selective. In the audience, I, 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 I wish that were the case. Really? Okay. Yeah, I wish that were the case. I just happen to know a lot of people with relationship lists and with other lists that have mailed for them and have made a lot, a lot, a lot of money uh, on referrals. And I think that the reason is that men really are that angry and that frustrated. Wow. I think they are. You know, I, I think they are. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, not all of them. 
Mm-hmm. Not every man, not every man, but the reality is that that uh, there's a lot of men out there, and mm-hmm. probably most, probably more than half, who have some little boy who's still fucking hurting from the first time some girl kind right, of right. went, pff, rolled her eyes and walked away and never got over that. Never, and I'm, you know, like if I could revenge fuck that bitch, I would, you know what I mean? Like right, they can't, right, right. they're 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 not past that. They're not. Yeah, well, it, 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 I guess... Like uh, we were talking about this earlier, is like it's a, once you've had a bit of success with women, then these kind of things fall away. I, I guess not for everyone actually, because you you were making references. I, I, I wish that were true. Right, right. Because there are some people who get this control mentality, which has come a bit from the pickup artist uh, community, as you said. You which they they kind of get seem to get stuck in stuck in that mentality. Other other people grow out of it. We know many people who have kind of evolved and, and moved on, and many of them are getting married now, just like you. Um, so, uh, but yeah, there are some people who seem to get stuck in it. Would you say that some people bear it, like it's good for them that they, they should remain sing- single? That's the right thing for them. I mean, sure. And and then you know, there's others that marriage is going to be the best thing for. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure that's the case. Yeah, I I don't I don't think that uh, you know um, relationships are for everyone. I mm. think that it really does come down to what. And, and, and again, I if I, I'm trying to play this out to the to the the furthest post-conventional point, the point where we're yeah. we're really dealing now in self-actualization, right? right, the, right. The, the the deepest path for yourself as a man and as a human, and not just, you know, sort of your animal inclinations that you seem to not be able to control because you're still a child. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean when you if you really look at your 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 furthest maturity and you view your life holistically and you recognize your death and that you have a short time to experience as much right. as you can in this life. Mm-hmm. Um, for some men, that experience as much as you can means um, having the freedom to just explore on their own and experience a variety of women. And, mm. and for some, the deepest exploration of what it means to be a human and be a man is going to be in relationship to you know uh, a woman and possibly um, children and all that stuff. Though children isn't ruled out in the other path, but you know you get the idea. Yeah, totally. I wonder sometimes if it's a biological thing too. Um, you know, higher testosterone, you know, obviously leads to some things, you know, like more risk taking, more, more promiscuity, right? So, you know, on, on some level, some of this stuff is programmed in us because of our, our biological natures are different, right? So some people just may be more suitable for, for marriage because, you know, their, their biology is set up that way to be work better that way. Whereas others, you know, they're either likely to cheat or, you know, because they're really drawn outside all the time by their hormonal setup and everything. Um, and it's, I, you know, so I, I, I'm not sure it's like something we learn either. It's actually something that we're kind of born with. Um, maybe. I mean, you I can disagree. I, no, I maybe I, you know, this is really a nature versus nurture question yeah. that, you know, a lot of scientists would, would argue yeah. uh, for each side. I, it, it maybe. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, kind of the case study on the opposite. I'm just a testosterone poison martial arts mm. loving mm. you know incredibly horny motherfucker right. uh, but i'm be focused know, very yeah very 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 focused on one woman exactly yeah. so but you know for sure uh there's uh there's going to be um, exceptions to that on on both sides not which may not negate the general case it's hard for me to say yeah. it's hard for me to say i uh, you know, but to, to kind of go back to, for a moment, the, the pickup artist community mentality and what it's done to a lot of men. Hmm. Um, and by the way, it may, may not even be, the, the community may literally be answering a proclivity that it, existed in the men first. It could be in the men, and then this is just where 
you know, where they naturally got taken. It, it, I'm not saying it's necessarily the fault of, of this particular community, though. It has emotionally damaged an awful lot of men, mm. um, you know, who traded shy for weird. And, you know, they're just, they literally, you know, by, by, by figuring out how to unwire the game, they fail to learn the lessons that come from playing the game. It's like, you know, they found a robot to play their tennis game for them, and now they think they're a good tennis player. You know, they just, they, they missed a whole lot of emotional maturing in there. Um, but I, I have noticed that if you if you look at the, you know, again, I, I'm just looking at the marketing copy because the marketing copy is what tells us what is working in a way, you know? Right. It's what, this is, what, what are men responding to? And um, I've noticed, you know, again, these are these are my business partners too, right? So I, mm -hmm. uh, and, and a great many of them are, are friends and some of them are, you know, acquaintances that I just as soon not have, you know, like, like in any group. Yeah. Uh, but I've noticed how many of them now feature some form of a, a statement early in their marketing that says, women hate this. Women don't want you to know this. Totally. Women are angry that I'm revealing this secret. Right. You know, uh, the reality is, what's true is that women are desperately dying for you to learn how to be cooler about walking up to them, having a conversation and getting a date. They don't want to be alone on Saturday either. Hmm. You know, women women don't really like it when you have uh, approach anxiety and don't say hello. They would much prefer that you say hello and say something cool and charming, even if you're a douche. They'd rather that than just, you know, nobody walks up to them tonight and or you walk up and say something abortively stupid. Mm -hmm. They actually want you to be the charming guy who sweeps them off their feet. They're rooting for you to learn this stuff. And by the way, women love sex. You know, by the way, we haven't even touched on it, but like what, what I teach is, is, is sexual skills, right? Mm -hmm. Sexual intimacy skills and how to, you know, really um, create deep sexual chemistry with a woman. That's what I teach. Most of the guys that read my stuff are already in relationships. Mm. Some of them just want to, you know, be good for their next relationship. But I can, I can tell, and I teach women too. So I have, I have just as many female readers as male readers. Mm. And I can tell you, women love sex and it's highly, highly disappointing and frustrating to them when you're not good at sex and they fucking hate it when you don't go for sex. They, they want to feel attractive. They want to feel beautiful. They want you to try and have sex with them. They want you to succeed at charming their pants off because that's what they, that's what they're programmed for. So the idea that women don't want you to learn this stuff is bullshit. It's not the truth. Why is everyone saying it? Because that's appealing to these men. It's appealing to them that women don't want you to know this. Why is it appealing? Because in their shame-filled mind, they're still seeing the woman as the adversary Enemy. to getting right. laid. She's yeah. the adversary, not the ally. And that well, that little twist is hmm. fucking men up. It's fucking them up. Right, right. This is some this is some really deep knowledge. I, ho I hope you know um, people appreciate that marketing marketing is really a reflection of reality. It's 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 you know that that's that's the skill set. And you know in this type yes. of in this type of marketing, it teaches marketers a lot about what the real state of the world is. Right? It's actually what the better real state than of men's minds is. It's 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 better than a lot of the scientific surveys they do, where you know people introduce biases by responding what they want. But marketers are actually looking at actions. So. Um, right. Real results, real results, and and the, the way people really are and and react. So it's you know all of this stuff Alex is uh, talking about is is really interesting because it's talking about like a lot of the deep internal motivations that some of us may not be aware of all of the time, but you know they're, they're there. And you know, 
it may take a while. I think this is a very difficult kind of deep subject to, to, to have on the podcast, but for you guys listening out there, uh, you know, maybe listen to it again and, and try and think, you know, of situations and, um, and, and, and times when you, your thoughts may have aligned with this and try to understand how it could be damaging, you know, your potential to have future relationships. Yes, indeed. Yeah, <laughs> this 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 shit can crack you open right, if you right. take this deep enough. And what we're talking about this, this episode's about marriage, so it's like deep going to like you know the really fundamental stuff. We're talking about you know being able to have a relationship for twenty, thirty years. So it was going to get a bit a bit deeper. We liked it or not, right? <laughs> yeah. So one of, one of the things you know I really really wanted to make sure we covered on this is like you know obviously there's a big problem with divorce today and marriages that don't work and I know you have ideas about you know what make you know what makes marriages uh, good and last for the longer term what stops them from getting bored you know people getting bored in those relationships you know what do you think are like are some of the important things if if you're getting into a marriage or if you're in a marriage right now that maybe isn't going so well what are some of the important things that you need for that spark to maintain it and you know grow that relationship rather than let it deteriorate over time uh i i you know i teach sex and i you know there's yep. that old adage that uh you know to a carpenter every problem looks like a, a nail to be hammered or something yeah uh you know so i Maybe I'm biased, but I, I really believe that uh, sex is the fundamental piece of maintaining a great marriage. Mm. If it's not the fundamental piece, I'll just say that it's a great crucible. It's a great place to uh, work your marriage mm. because it's it's a place where a, there's a lot of pleasure reward when you're getting it right. Mm. A lot of pleasure reward. And, and the pleasure comes in, in both dimensions, the dimension of being able to receive pleasure into your body, but mm -hmm. also the dimension of being able to you know, push pleasure into the woman you love. Now, we as humans love to give. We're, we're wired to love to give. Uh, we love it when we give somebody an exquisite gift that just they're like, yay! And we particularly love it sexually. Like every man is really turned on by giving his woman an orgasm. When she's you know moaning and screaming, that's a huge turn on. Mm. And, and it's not just a turn on, it makes us feel powerful and manly that we gave her that orgasm, right? So there's, so there's a lot packed into that. Uh, and when, when you love someone and you're, you're pushing their body through this kind of symphony of pleasure, mm. uh, that's powerfully satisfying. I mean, if you really love a woman and you give her that level of pleasure, you're likely to cry of, from happiness afterwards. You know, you could have a really powerful right. emotional response from having done that, from having given that gift and seen it received, you know? I think, I think you know, something like that, I think most guys haven't um, experienced crying in, you know, after sex or even during sex. And, you know, I've, I've only done it a couple of times um, myself. And it was when I started to, I went on a mission basically to explore sexuality. Mm. with one of my girlfriends um this was this was a few few years ago um and one of the things i wanted to touch on is like is like is part of this like keeping the sex alive is it is it kind of continuously exploring and pushing the boundaries because you know I, I pushed the boundaries for myself and her and we both ended up crying and that was really shocking and of course that creates an incredible bond right mm -hmm. but is, is that something that you have to keep on doing because you know people talk about sex getting stale in marriages and, and stuff does is that completely unavoidable or you know is, is this could they can there be this constant 
exploration, like kind of pushing the boundaries? How do you see it? Uh, I think I think you need to push the boundaries until there are no more boundaries. Once there right. are no more boundaries, you don't have to push them anymore because they're not there. Mm. I think that pushing the boundaries thing is something that people get wrong a lot. They think, well, you know, now we need to try S and M. Now I right. have to melt some candle wax on our nipples. Mm. Now we have to dress up as furry animals. Now we have to, you know, <laughs> it's like. Because that, that, then the reason they think that is because they actually are getting bored and then they introduce some piece of variety and that's interesting for a minute, mm -hmm. you know, and that, and it, it works as far as it goes, but it's, it's, it's a sham. It's a hamster wheel, right? Okay. That's not, that's not pushing bound. Pushing boundaries is, pushing boundaries is, should be, could be the, the process of finding every piece of your organic desire that you're currently ashamed of and then um, playing it living it, mm. talking it, you know, uh, de-shaming it, fantasizing it, whatever, whatever it requires in relationship. It won't happen alone. If you're not in relationship, you can never dissolve shame, right? Mm. You, I mean, so, and by the way, I don't just mean sexual relationship. It could be in relationship to your psychologist or your mom or, you know, whatever, but mm. somebody has got to hear it out loud or it's still living in the closet in the dark where you're ashamed of it. It needs to be out in the world for you to ever not be ashamed of it, right? It has to be in the sunlight, not in the closet. And it doesn't make sense to talk about that shit with your mom. That's weird, hmm. right? And of course, some people therefore take it to a psychologist and that's a shame because the opportunity is to do it in your romantic relationship where it's appropriate and beautiful. So that, that what happens is when you... Um, like I said, when I said sex is a crucible and, and a workshop, and like I said, the, the half of it is there's this, this brilliant payoff. There's this incredible pleasure that you get in your body and that you can push into her body, her, the woman you love. Awesome. And you also then get to uh, work on your shit. You get to work on your jealous. You get to work on your, wow, I'm attracted to underaged women. You get to work on your, wow, I'm attracted to dogs or, or, you know, uh, I'm attracted to, I don't know, poop or whatever, feet. Everybody's got like these things and they're ashamed of them. They think they're weird and aberrant. Mm -hmm. There's no such thing as weird and aberrant. But there are things that are illegal, for example. Mm -hmm. So, and this is, this is like an important piece that there are things that are illegal. You can't do them, you know. Um, it, it is really uh, appealing to me to uh, beat the living crap out of people who litter. I just, I see somebody drop something on the ground. I, I literally, like, I just want to beat them. And I feel like it would be good if I did, but you can't. And frankly, it wouldn't be good if I did. You know, I sometimes have words with them, but mm. you get that you can't beat people up for that one. In the same way, you know, you can't have sex with underage women and you, you can't um, have sex with, with somebody who's screaming, no, 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 if that person isn't involved in the little fantasy with you, right? Sure. <laughs> I mean, you know, rape is bad. And, and so there are things that, you know, and, you, and, and by the way, if you're really turned on by the possibility of like murdering somebody while having sex with them, it's all okay. It's totally okay. You can't do it, but it's totally okay to think it, feel it, and understand where it comes from and mine it, excavate it. Mm -hmm. But you need a really trusting, powerful, loving partner to excavate shit like that, mm -hmm. right? To really understand what part of your childhood, like, or what, what piece of you like demands so much power that you could take a life and that that would be a turn on, that that power trip somehow turns you on. And then you could explore it in fantasy, by the way. She can play dead for you. And it might even titillate the fuck out of her to be, to play the victim. Because, you know, right, it's just right. as likely that a woman has the wow. I'm getting murdered, I'm getting murdered fantasy as the, but you can't do these in real life. 
right? And maybe you don't even want to play them in fantasy, but you can excavate them, you know? You can, you can, you can figure out who you are and right. who you are in relationship. So uh, this is not a game that ever gets boring, okay? And when, and when you get to the bottom of it, it's not like there's, um, like I said, you don't have to keep pushing the boundaries because the boundaries eventually go away. Eventually, you're just all in. Mm. And that sex doesn't get boring. That sex never gets boring because it's not based, it wasn't based on variety to begin with. It was based on real attraction. It's when you, when you can trust your cock. Like most men can't trust their cock. Their cock's gonna, get on, yeah, yeah, do all kinds of weird shit. Like you get to the point where you can trust your cock. And that's, you know, like sex, no, sex it will not inevitably be boring mm. unless, by the way, again, you know, it's, it's, it's porn is one of the, the uh, we didn't get into the whole porn thing, but mm. man, porn fucks men up dramatically. And one of the ways that it fucks men up is that, you know, this, this need for variety, which is innately wired into us. We desire variety innately. Right. That's wired right. in for sure. Mm. But it's not the only thing that's wired in. We desire a lot of things other than variety. A lot of things other than variety. Variety is one of the things that wired in. And it's an easy button. It's one of the easiest ways to get the cookie. It's like the, the, the sugar of the sex world. You know, sugar's easy. Everybody likes it. You know, you put it in, people are going to eat it, right? Yeah, that's a nice analogy. So it's like a low effort reward, right? Just, just, yeah, yeah. Just, just introduce variety in your partner and it makes it easier. Sure, yeah. Get. You get bored with your woman, all you need to do is fuck another woman. I mean, everybody right. knows that that works, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it works. It does work. So it's, a, it's an easy button, but it's not necessarily the most rewarding meal you're ever going right. to eat. Mm -hmm. And it's not necessarily the most powerful. But a lot of men don't know that it's not the most powerful because they don't know anything else. And, they, and they, they've trained themselves to appreciate variety more and more and more by playing that easy button over and over again. And, mm -hmm. you know, there's this thing called neuroplasticity. The more you do something, the, yeah. the, not only the more skilled you become at doing it, but also it, it becomes part of you. It becomes part of the way your, your universe works. It's that addiction process. And it, it's like, you know, if, when you start flossing your teeth, it's really hard to get into the habit. Once you have the habit, you feel filthy when you don't do it. It's like, it's this weird thing, but it, it's neuroplasticity. It's your brain, you know, carving a groove. When hockey players ice skate, they don't ice skate. It's just like, it's the most natural thing on earth. And for me, I fall on my butt all the time. Mm. And that's, that's actually the neural network grooving down. So a guy who jerks off to porn for years on end, you know what I mean? He's dug a neural groove of uh, playing this variety button because you just click, 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 you know, and they they get into this, the simplicity of variety and then variety becomes king for them. You know, that needs to be unwired, unlearned. Well, it needs to be unwired, unlearned unless you want your sex life to be about porn, which seems like, I mean, it's, I guess it's a valid choice, but, you know, for People that have done it both ways can tell you that there's a lot more satisfaction to be gained in relating to a real woman. Yeah. Well, a lot more satisfaction. We were, we, were, we were talking about some really interesting problems around depression and losing willpower um, from over-abusing over with porn. So there's, there's actually detriments way beyond relationships. Uh, way beyond, yeah. yeah. So yeah. I, I, think, I think it's safe to say it's a negative thing. Even even if you know you've, you know you like that kind of very very low effort uh, reward kind of kind of situation, I don't think it's it's a, it's ever going to work out well for anybody. It's magnificently addictive, and it uh, it will definitely make you bad in bed. I mean, I can I can tell you right now that mm. um, I I make ridiculous amounts of money from men who are bad in bed, and 
are bad in bed because of porn. <laughs> you right. know, like they they watched porn. They were like, that's how you have sex. And then they have a wife who's like, you're not satisfying me. And then they're like, dear Alex Allman, please help me. You know, yeah. got it. Clear. I'm super clear on that. I got I got you. You know, I can fix you. But, you know, yeah. uh, it, it's like it's like dentists and sugar. You know, dentists are like they have a love hate relationship with sugar. You know what I mean? Like they don't want their patients to get cavities. But at the same time, they're making money that way. That's me and porn. Everybody that watches too much porn ends up eventually needing my book, you know? <laughs> yeah. So we've, co we've covered like some of the angles of like marriage, making it last longer. Um, how about, I guess this is a big fear of some men, like especially if they do think, you know, that they found this woman that they really, really do love and um, they, they want this marriage forever and then, you know, they love her. Then they're worried about, you know, keeping her faithful potentially, right? And are committed forever, like from her side, like what's going to keep her in the relationship? I'm going to go into a little woo-woo stuff here. Okay. You know, I mean, um, and, and I guess you ultimately have to ask yourself the question. Uh, and the, and the, the question is, do you think that love is just a biological reaction? We talked a lot about the stuff that's wired into the animal and the, you know, the, the, the need for variety and, you know, and then ultimately this need that becomes self-actualization. And somewhere in there, we largely avoided the spiritual conversation. And, you know, uh, I don't, you know, believe in God who's sitting up on a throne somewhere on a cloud. I, I certainly don't have, have that inclination. But the, the, the question is, you know, is there, some, is there some divine nature to the universe? Is there some beautiful spiritual something that's bigger than, uh, you know, those things that we understand through physics and science? And, you know, a lot of really smart people who would say, no, you know, I'm not spiritual. I don't believe in that stuff. The, the wiggle room, the place where you might get them, where they might go, yeah, maybe, is love. Like a lot of people, when you say, well, is love just empirical? Is it just a bunch of instincts and wired in there? Is that all it is? Is it just pair bonding for the purpose of, you know, a child has to reach a certain age before, you know, which is why after seven years, a lot of infatuation wears off because, you know, the children have fled the nest and they don't need protecting of the father anymore. So you need to go off and fuck somebody else. Like, is that... Is that all that love really is? And I think that most people who have experienced love don't feel that way. They really feel like, no, there's something magical and deep and spiritual and special and uh, maybe divine, maybe maybe even divine. So um, the, the, there is some magic element here that I would bring into it because I, I do believe that love is more than just a bunch of science. And uh, whether I whether you believe that or not, there is one other thing about the thing I'm about to say, which is, it works. It's like it works. I, I just there. It, it it just tends to be true over and over again. It's kind of so from a science perspective. Even if you don't believe my rationale behind it, I can tell you it works. And it's this: a woman will be like just exactly as in love with you as you are with her. <laughs> it, it it it's uh, the love that people share is um, the same love. It's not like you have the love you have for her and she has the love that she has for you and they're two different things. They're not. They're one, they're one thing. They're the lawn between two houses. You know? Uh, she may be looking at it from her house and you're looking at it from your house, but it's the same grass. Okay? So unrequited love in my model doesn't mm -hmm. exist. I think, yeah, because we're going, we're going back to the model you were talking about at the beginning, right? Maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe. Uh, unrequited love doesn't exist, and it doesn't exist, but people think it exists. And then why do they think it exists? Because they're, they're misappropriating strong emotion for love. 
So uh, what happens is, you know, I mean, I think many men have had the experience of having a woman break up with them and then discovering they love them way more than they did the day before she broke up with them, right? I'd, um, I'd, I'd like to intervene with a little story here because yes? this was kind of uh, what got me interested in the whole um, learning about this stuff uh, 13 years ago, whatever it was. Um, like, and it, was, it, it fits perfectly with what you're talking about right now. Um, I was in a situation where um, it was the dot-com boom and I had this uh, r ridiculously well-paid job for how young I was. I was like 24 at the time and, uh, and there was a lot of pressure with that. I lost that job because it was the dot-com crash, boom, right? So I kind of had this huge up and this huge down. During that time, I had uh, this girlfriend, which I really did like, but to be honest, I didn't like her that much, you know? I liked her a lot, um, but I wouldn't have said it was love or anything. What happened though was when the dot-com crash came, that kind of took some of my self-esteem. It took a lot of my certainty, my confidence, a lot of things, you know, a lot of support. I didn't know what to do with my life. You know, I kind of had this huge high and then this huge bust and I didn't know what to really, really go with that. And I kind of clutched to, relation, to the relationship because, you know, I, I guess I didn't know what else to do at the time. So I started to think I really liked this girl and maybe I loved her, right? And then maybe six months down the line, took a little while, she broke up with me and I was devastated, right? And I thought I loved her and everything. But looking back on that, you know, years later, I realized that I didn't love her at all. I was, I was clinging to her because I was at an emotional low of my time. There's a lot of different stuff going on, which had kind of manufactured this situation, which I ended up doing the wrong thing, which was grabbing on the relationship for support rather than going on and, and rebuilding my life. So kind of, I took a time out, you know, for six months, I didn't do much about, apart from invest in that relationship, which actually wasn't going to go anywhere anyway. I wasn't, but if, if you'd asked me before, I probably would have, you know, said, well, we should probably part ways before the whole, you know, the, the whole dot-com crash came and my life changed. So, you know, that's really a situation where you think you love, but it's not really love that you're giving. And, and the, per the other person, I think she responded to that. Yep. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Um, you, you know, and, and if you, if you ask your friends the way you were talking about her before that happened, they tell you, yeah, dude, you didn't really like her that much. You know? yeah, totally, exactly. <laughs> your, your languaging around her has changed since she broke up with you and suddenly became a saint. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's funny that, um, I guess what happens is, you know, you, you loved her to some degree and she loved you to some degree. And then there's other stuff that mixes in. So, you know, the classic example is, you know, I love her so much, but she left me for the pool boy. And the truth is he, he does love her, but he's, he's also like, most of it is shame and humiliation and possessiveness right. and feeling like he lost to this other guy. And so the pain of, of, uh, the humiliation of having her leave with the pool boy is so great. <laughs> that pain is so great that he's conflated it with how much he must love her. Well, it's not right. how much he loves her. It's how much he hates humiliation, but mm -hmm. it, it's hard to tell the difference at that point. Now for her part, it's not like she doesn't love him. She does love him. Why did she leave with the pool boy? Because she loved him just enough to be intensely pissed off by how much he was still withholding. Mm -hmm. That's why she fucked the pool boy, because she, you know, she loved him enough to be fucking pissed with him, to, to feel the, the emotional abandonment that had occurred, you know? 
his 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 inability to uh, confront whatever those issues were, or to be like, I don't want to talk about that relationship stuff because he it was confronting and hard for him to admit the areas where he failed, or I don't want to talk about my pre mature ejaculation thing. Mm -hmm. No, why don't you just sleep with the pool boy? All right, I fucking will. You know, <laughs> it's like there there's that implication, like you know when 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 men you know, won't deal with relationship issues, whether mm. they're sexual or not. Um, women can't fucking understand that. They don't, you know, they don't, they don't, uh, they don't get that, um, you know, you're not dealing with this because of shame. They think you're not dealing with it because you don't love them enough. That's what they think. Right. They don't, you know, they don't, they don't get that it's your own shame. And why don't they get that it's your own shame? For the same reason that you don't get that they won't get that, which is we blame ourselves. Mm -hmm. She can't imagine that it's your shame. She thinks it's actually like, I'm just not good enough. And you don't like me enough. Right. She can't even imagine that actually you do like her that much. Right. People, people have low self-esteem and that's been the same thing. That's why, right, right. that's why you won't deal with it also, because you, you can't imagine that she would ever think anything but that it was your thing. Right. Right. You, so, that's why you're ashamed. Right. right. <laughs> Seriously, so, so, the, so there you're saying like that we haven't dealt with our own stuff to enable us to love. And, and that's where I think it kind of connects with the model you were talking about at the beginning, right. which I've forgotten the name of, of, of the, uh, the, the state that, you know, come, comes at the back, the post, 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 post conventional. Yeah. yeah post -conventional. The, the post conventional where we've worked on all our stuff, we're more self-aware and everything. And we, and we're free to love, you know, just as we're And then she can feel that. Right. Whereas in, in, in this version, you're talking about basically because we're still dealing with our own stuff. She doesn't feel loved at all. We may think, you know, there's some love in there, of course, but we've got all our other stuff. We're dealing with other emotions and she doesn't actually feel loved because we're not communicating it. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember uh, my my first girlfriend when I was 13, I think, 12, mm -hmm. 13. You mm -hmm. know, I mean, you know, we, we kissed now and then. I'm not I don't think I had hit puberty yet yeah. but it was kind of interesting and fun I remember I, I told her I loved her and I distinctly remember at the time wanting to tell her I loved her because I was curious to know what what would happen how that would feel who that would make me not because of a feeling I was feeling I wasn't really feeling much of anything but I I wanted to say it because I was really fucking curious and it seemed like that's what people say and mm -hmm. you know I would I watched some movies and shit and you know like Tom Cruise said that to what you know what I mean like that just seemed like what you're supposed to do mm -hmm. uh so you know that would be like my earliest experience of I love you and and um you know compare that to my latest experience of what I mean when I say I love you and I can tell you that it's not just that those things are different it's that it's that there was a, a, a evolution, steps along the way of what I meant. There were a lot of stops and starts in between mm. to get to the place where I'm 100% surrendered and it's easy. And it's, you know, like there's no, there's, I, I hold nothing back. My, you know, my life is hers, her life is mine. I don't, I, I, I never consider the possibility of her cheating. It's not, mm. it isn't a possibility. And if she you know, felt this deep sexual attraction for another man, for sure we'd talk about that. And it's entirely yeah. possible that we become polyamorous over that. I, you know, yeah. I want her to have everything in life. Um, I don't foresee that happening, of course, but it could, you know, I, life is long. A lot of, a lot of things can, can shift and turn, but you know, this idea that your wife, you know, might cheat on you or leave you or this kind of thing, that, that's a that's a self-fulfilling thing and it's also a yeah. thing that you're doing you're doing right. it to her too like to right. the degree that you're afraid she might cheat on you is exactly the degree that you secretly know and maybe you even lie to yourself about it, but you secretly fucking know that you would cheat on her too in that 
you know, I'm in Vegas with the boys. She could never possibly find out. There's no way this could get back to her. This is the hottest girl I've ever seen in my fucking life. And, and she's willing to be with me. And, and I just, and, and all the other guys have gone to bed and nobody's going to know. Literally nobody's going to know. And you know that you probably would cheat in that place. Hmm. And if you know that about yourself, then you'll worry that she would. And I've right. been that guy. I mean, but how do I know the specifics of that, by the way, is because I've been that guy, of course. Like I've passed through those phases. I, I get that. I just want you to know that that if you're in that place, she very well might cheat on you. And that doesn't mean that you shouldn't get married. It just means that there's more work to do, that you could take this further. I, I want to present that it's possible for you to go further with this, that right. your, your intimacy can develop more deeply. Mm-hmm. People get married with a whole lot less than what I've got. And they have perfectly good marriages. You don't have to have all of it, but mm-hmm. all of it's possible. This, is, this has been an amazing amazing interview amazing show we've we've touched on a lot of very deep topics and it's i think it's it's going to blow people's minds right thinking thinking about this stuff awesome um i hope so yeah i would i would, I would love to have some mind-blowing happening yeah and I, i'd love to to talk more about it there's uh it's a, a deep deep subject yeah yeah um so i'd like to ask you we asked this it's the same question of everyone for someone who is starting from scratch from zero so like a complete beginner to all of this dating, sex relationships, you know, you study to read up on it. What would be your top three recommendations to get it fixed, to improve with it and, you know, really get, get the best out of it as fast as possible? You know, it really would depend a lot on their goal. I mean, if, 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 you're, if you're just trying to learn how to meet women and, you know, uh, like... Right. Well, let's stick to the theme, the topic of, of you know, the, this, this interview, which is marriage, long-term relationships. Yeah. Um, David Data, The Way of the Superior Man, comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's a, a really important book. But not, not necessarily products. I mean, like, what would you be, you know, your three top things that you would do if you were starting out from zero um, and, and you wanted to fix this aspect of your life? Yeah, got it. Okay, uh, so I, I, I would, I'll, I'll still stick with David Data, the way the Superior Man. By the way, yeah. it's a it's a, Great it's, book. a it's a good one. I, I really think it's super important to um, go through the process yeah. of learning how to talk about the things that you're ashamed of. Um, it, it's incredibly important. It, it is the route to self esteem, self confidence, mm. self trust. And that is a, a real process of noticing when you're ashamed of something and then um, finding somebody to say it out loud to and not a therapist, like a brother or a woman, maybe your woman, but to, to really begin to uh, discover that all those things that you think that make you weird and wrong, like, you know, if you're shy around women and you learn how to say some cool things to women, you'll get a result, maybe even a good result. But if you're shy around women, and then what you say to women is, wow, I'm shy around women. I wish I knew what to do right now. Yeah. Uh, you'll, you'll get way better results. You'll get laid like a rock star, and you'll also learn a lot about yourself and, how, and what women really like. Mm. like. Like learning to be who you are with courage and integrity um, and, and, and just noticing, keeping that, that light observation on yourself, noticing when you're ashamed of something and then like really being committed to uh, bringing that shit out and, and being authentic with it. Like I said, with, with a brother is not a bad thing. And a brother who's willing to tell you the truth and tell you when you're just being a little sniveling little bitch right. and, 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 and say it with love. That's a golden, golden moment 
um, because they won't. They'll actually admire you for having done it. And then, and then you get it. That's when you switch on. You're like, oh, wow. Right. Okay. Wow. Everybody's got those things. And I'm the hero who can face it. And it makes you intensely, intensely attractive to other humans, including women. So that's a huge practice. And uh, the other practice is self-trust. So I say, that's my three. Uh, my, my third one now is, is going to be self-trust. And learning self-trust is the process of um, making your own decisions, regarding your decisions and deciding whether you made them because you thought it was the right thing to do, that it would impress other people, that mm. it's the thing your dad would improve, would, your dad would approve of, your friends would approve of. Right. Really noticing when the decision is yours and when it's like everybody else's voices and trying to be consistent with making your decision and then really getting that the consequence of that decision will never ever be that you made the wrong decision. Never. Because we never know what the outcomes are in life. There, there are no right decisions in life. There's mm -hmm. no way to get it right and there's no way to get it wrong. There's just the experiences you get based on the decision you made and none are more or less valid than others. It's just the history of your life. And, you know, sometimes the wrong turn leads to the coolest shit. You know, think about the time when you were traveling somewhere. I know you've done a lot of traveling, buddy. <laughs> but that time when you were in like a city that you didn't know and you got lost and you made the wrong turn and then you discovered the thing that turned out to be the best thing that you got. That is the way life is. So you can't make a wrong decision in life if you actually, unless you discover you did it because that's what you thought, you know, you should do, and then you discovered yourself unhappy. Make choices from your own inclination, from your truth, and do it as often as fucking possible, and you you will remake your life. I would say those those are you know extremely good points, not just for dating, sex, relationships, you know, this whole subject, but for life in general. So thank you very much for those. Thank you, my friend. interview transcript and links to everything mentioned on today's show, go to datingskillsreview.com slash DSP43. That's slash DSP43. As with every week, we're giving away a bonus coaching session of 30 minutes with me, Angel Donovan, over Skype. In these sessions, you can ask me absolutely anything about dating, sex, and relationships, no holds barred, and uh, hopefully get you a plan in place to fix any issues or challenges you have currently and take your life and dating and sex relationships to the next level. This week to win the coaching session, answer this question in the comments and we'll pick the best comment out in a week's time. So this is the question, is marriage for you? If it is in your plans for the future or potentially a long-term relationship, which is the same thing, what did you learn today about preparing for that future? What self-work do you need to start doing now to be prepared for an outstanding marriage, not normal marriage, but a really outstanding relationship or marriage in the future? Get your comments in by Monday, 7th October. I'll be picking out the best comment on that day to give away the free coaching. The quote I picked out from Alex Holman from today's interview is this. Sex is the fundamental piece in maintaining a great marriage. So that's pretty simple and it's probably something you've heard before, but I think it's really worth remembering this and, and having a reminder of this because there's other, there's other things we see in society. We see that, you know, sometimes counselors, psychotherapists and what you see in the movies, they're focused on a lot of different 
aspects of relationships which are beyond sex and they don't kind of acknowledge that subject potentially because it's a bit taboo to do that sometimes or to say it's, it's all important. However, it's certainly true as Alex pointed out that it's a fundamental part and often you see in relationships when the sex starts to become less frequent or you know, not as good, then the relationship starts to suffer. An interesting way to look at this is if have you seen any men and women staying in bad relationships, like relationships that they really don't like from, for several reasons that aren't good for them from, from several points of view, whether, whether that be because it's constant arguments and it's very negative or there's drama or other, other aspects of those relationships, but they'll still stay attached to those relationships. And often what's happening is that the sex is really good in those relationships and it's trumping all of the other factors. So sometimes when we look at the negative side um, of something, we can see how important it is. Now, I know myself and some, some of the other guys who've been around for a long time, we've had these kinds of relationships where the sex was amazing, was really good, and we didn't actually like a lot of the other aspects of the relationship and we knew this wasn't a girl for us for the long term, but we stayed in that relationship longer because the sex was so good and, and it was special. So if you're having a problem in a relationship, sex is a good place to start looking at for where the potential issue could be because it's one of the big impact areas. So I'm going to leave you with this quote again. Sex is the fundamental piece in maintaining a great marriage. The Dating Skills Podcast is brought to you by DatingSkillsReview.com The number one men's source for dating, sex, and relationships advice. Get the cutting edge advice now and create your ideal dating lifestyle.